Spiritual Sword Media presents The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. One day, you and I will stand before Almighty God, and we will, as the Apostle Paul said, give an account of the deeds done in the body. As we think about the judgment, I call attention to what Paul says in Romans chapter 14. In verse 10, Paul said, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. The first thing I want to do is call your attention to the mandatory meeting. The mandatory meeting is summed up in verse 10 where Paul said, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Did you know that all of us will be at the judgment? There will be no exceptions. There are some things in this life that we choose to ignore. There are circumstances, invitations that we receive from time to time and we decide of our own volition that we're not going to attend, that we will be absent from that particular occasion, endeavor. But that's not going to be the case when it comes to the judgment of Almighty God. We're going to be there, whether we like it or not. When I think about the judgment, I'm reminded of what Jesus said concerning those who will be present. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 15, Jesus said in the long ago that the people who lived in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, he said they're going to be there. On another occasion in Matthew chapter 11 at verse 22, Jesus said that the people who lived in the cities of Tyre and Sidon, he said they're going to be there. On another occasion in Matthew chapter 12 at verse 41, Jesus cited the men of Nineveh, that is the people who lived in the city of Nineveh. And you know what he said? They're going to be there. In Matthew chapter 25 at verse 32, Jesus pictures the judgment day. And he said, all nations shall be gathered before him. The all nations would include all people who have ever lived from Adam forward. In Acts chapter 17 verse 31, the apostle Paul in his great sermon on the his great sermon on Mars Hill told the people that were living in idolatry that there is one true living God. The one true living God is the one who made mankind. He's the one who created the world. And in verse 31, he said that the creator of the world will one day bring all men before him at the judgment. As a matter of fact, in verse 31, he said, he will judge the world in righteousness. So the world, according to the apostle Paul, 
will be there. And then I think in a personal way, from an individual vantage point, what we need to understand is we will be there. How do I know that you and I are going to be at the judgment? Well, listen again to what Paul said in the latter part of verse 10. For we, that's inclusive. There are no exceptions. Paul said, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 10, Paul there said, we must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ. Again, Paul uses the plural there. And he said, we shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to be manifest before that great bar of judgment. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, the Bible says, it is appointed unto man once to die. And then he said, after this cometh the judgment. In Revelation chapter 20, at verse 12, John said, I saw the dead, the small and the great, standing before God. John here picturing the judgment, the last day, if you please. And he said that he saw all men, the small, the great, standing before God. You and I, we're going to be present at the judgment. So it is a mandatory meeting. It's not something that you and I can choose to ignore. Whether we like it or not, whether we want to be there or not, we're going to be before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. But then there's a second thing in our lesson text. This has to do with the confession of creation. Listen now to what Paul said beginning in verse 11. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. When we talk about the confession of creation, what we are accentuating is the fact that every tongue shall confess to God. That is, those who believe in the Lord and those who do not believe in the Lord. At some future point in history, every man woman and child will acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Son of God to the glory of Almighty God. Now, there are a couple of things that I want us to think about in light of the confession of creation. The first is a question. The second is a question as well. The first question is this. What do you think about Jesus? In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus asked the people of his day, what do you think of the Christ? Whose son is he? There is a reason why I would ask this question. Because you see, your understanding of Christ, what you think about Jesus, will go a long way in whether or not you willingly confess him now on this earth. There is coming a day in which we'll all confess Jesus. We'll all acknowledge that he is the son of God. The point is this. I would rather confess him now that he is the Lord of my life 
that he is the divine son of God and then get to the judgment and gladly acknowledge Jesus to be the son of God knowing that I did the right thing than to get to the judgment and think this. I missed the boat. I knew I should have done that while I lived on earth. Now we ask the question, what do you think about Jesus? That's not a foreign question. I said just a moment ago, Jesus asked that question in Matthew 22. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus again asked the question, who do men say that I the son of man am? They said, some say that you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus then asked the question, but whom do you say that I am? Simon Peter spoke up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus then said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed unto you, but my father which is in heaven. You see, the apostle Peter, along with the apostles, they had come to the conclusion that Jesus was the son of God, that he was who he claimed to be. And then I think about Thomas. In John chapter 20, you remember Thomas after having examined the print of the nails in the hands of Jesus? After having surveyed the side that had been pierced with a spear, do you remember what Thomas said? He said, my Lord and my God. So when we ask the question, what do you think about Jesus? That's an important question. You could poll a lot of people in our world today. You could ask them, what do you think about Jesus? And they might tell you a lot of different things. They might say, you know what? He was a good man. He was on a plane equal to Gandhi. Or they might put him in the same sphere as Buddha or Muhammad. But they're not going to acknowledge him as the son of God. They're certainly not going to say like, like Peter did, that he was the divine son of God, or like Thomas, that he is Lord and God. So what you think about Jesus is going to shape your spiritual identity, and it's going to have a lot to say about your future in eternity. But there's a second question I want to ask you. And again, this second question is equally important. And here's the question. What have you done with Jesus? It's one thing to ask the question, what do you think about Jesus? But the second question is, what have you done with Jesus? You remember what Pilate asked before having Jesus crucified? Actually, before he had Jesus scourged. He asked the multitudes who were present, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? That question is relevant. That's a question that you and I have to answer, whether we like it or not. What are we going to do with Jesus Christ? Do you believe he's the son of God? Do you believe that he is Lord and God, as Thomas said? If you do, then hopefully you have been receptive to him. Now I ask the question, what have you done with Jesus? And really there are a couple of options here. Number one, the first question is, have you received him? Have you been receptive to him? When Philip went down to the city of Samaria, the Bible says he preached Christ to those people in Acts chapter 8, verse 5. 
In verse 12, the Bible tells us that those people in the city of Samaria, when they heard Philip preaching things concerning the kingdom of God, the name of the Lord Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. What did they do? They obeyed the gospel. Why did they do that? Because they came to believe that Jesus was the son of the living God. They were, no doubt, convicted of their sins. And so, with penitent hearts, they responded gladly to the gospel invitation. Do you remember the apostle Paul? When he recounted his conversion story, you remember what he said? That Ananias came to him and he said, and now why do you tarry, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord? Have you done that? Have you been receptive to Jesus Christ, the Son of God? We ask the question, what do you think about Jesus? Do you believe he is the Son of God? If you believe him to be the Son of God, then surely in your heart of hearts you have received him. In other words, you've obeyed him. You have done what the Bible says to do to become a child of the living God. You have put your faith in Jesus as the divine Son of the living God. John 8 verse 24. Surely you have repented of every sin, Luke 13, 3. I would be certain that you have confessed the good name of Jesus Christ like the eunuch did in Acts 8, verse 37, where you said, I believe Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. And then I would know, I would be certain based on your understanding that you have been immersed in a watery grave of baptism so that every sin could be washed away. Now, if you think Jesus is the Son of God, surely you've done that. But there's another possibility. Have you rejected him? Have you said no to him? There are a lot of people down through time that have said no to Jesus Christ. Let me give you a couple of examples. In Acts chapter 24, the Bible speaks of the Apostle Paul standing before Felix. And Luke tells us in his narration of these events that Paul reasoned with him about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And do you know what Felix did? Did Felix obey the gospel? Was he receptive to the Son of God? The Bible says he was terrified. Well, he ought to have been terrified. He was outside of Christ. His soul was in jeopardy. He should have responded to the gospel, but he said, go your way. When I have a convenient season, I will call for you. He said no. In Acts chapter 26, we find the apostle Paul standing before King Agrippa. And the Bible tells us that Paul asked Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Paul said, I know you believe the prophets. Agrippa was not ignorant of the law of Moses. Agrippa was not ignorant of what we would call the scriptures. But the Bible says, Agrippa said, almost you persuade me to become a Christian. Please listen very carefully. You can say no. You have, you have the right you have the prerogative, you have the volition to say, no, I'm not going to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's your choice. I can't force you. I can't compel you. 
God's not going to compel you. God's not going to force you. You hold that decision in your heart. There is a third thing I would add to this. You can receive him. You can reject him. And number three, you can forsake him. What does it mean to forsake the Lord? It means to go back into the world. And let me just say this. If you leave the Lord Jesus Christ and you go back into the world, you are committing spiritual adultery. That's what James said in James chapter 4, verse 4. If you go back into the world and you leave the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter said the latter end is worse than the beginning. It would have been better for you not to have known the way of righteousness than after having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto you. Let me tell you what, I want to just put it down where you can understand it. If you have left the Lord, you are on thin ice and it could break at any time. I had an attorney call me one time. I was preaching for a congregation and we had a couple that unfortunately were involved in sexual immorality. And the amazing thing is they went to an attorney because they were going to somehow try to threaten us with the law. They're living in an immorality. They're living in an ungodly lifestyle and they're wanting to threaten those of us in the church. They're wanting to threaten the church for standing what is right. That's the bottom line. So I had an attorney call me one day and he said, you need to be very careful. You're on thin ice. The attorney that called me represented the church I was preaching for. That couple had gone to him to see if he would represent them. What I'm telling you is, if you're unfaithful to the body of Christ, you're on thin ice. I can't tell you how dangerous you are living right now. I promise you, you are playing with fire. So, have you received him? Have you rejected him? Have you forsaken him? There's a third thing I would call your attention to as we look at our lesson text, and that is the accountability of the assembly. Look now at what Paul said in verse 12. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Look again at what he said. Each of us shall give an account of himself to God. That means you and I, we are going to give an account of how we live here on this earth. Two things I want to share with you along these lines, and I hope, you'll pay, I hope you will please pay very careful attention. Number one, I want to talk to you about the standard by which you will be judged. You and I are not going to be judged on the basis of what we think. What we think, really, when it's all said and done, doesn't matter. It's not going to be on the basis of my opinion. The judgment is not going to be on the basis of what the multitudes think. It's not going to be decided by some political party. 
the judgment of Almighty God is going to be by a standard. You know what that standard is? It's the Bible. In John chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, listen to him, the same shall judge him in the last day. That's what Jesus said. In Romans chapter two at verse two, Paul said, we know that the judgment of God is according to truth. Jesus asked the question, or rather Pontius Pilate asked the question, what is truth? And Jesus said, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth, John 17 verse 17. In Romans 2.16, the Bible tells us that God shall judge the hearts, the secrets of men by my gospel according to Jesus Christ. We're going to be judged on the basis of what this book says. And then in James chapter 2 at verse 12, James said, So speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. That's the Bible. It's called the perfect law of liberty in James 1 verse 25. We're going to be judged on the basis of what God's word says. And then in Revelation chapter 20 at verse 12, again, John said, I saw the dead, the small and great standing before God. And listen to him. He said, the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of the things which were written in the books. What John is saying there is this. This is the standard. God is going to judge you on the basis of what this book says. Now, in light of that, how well do you know your Bible? When's the last time you studied the Bible in your home? There are a lot of folks, sadly, the only time they read the Bible is when they come to services. You're going to be judged on the basis of what this book says. If you don't know what this book says, don't you think that suggests you're going to be in trouble on the day of judgment? How can you follow the law of God if you don't know what it says? We need to get in the book and stay in the book. We need to do like the psalmist of old who meditated in the law of Jehovah and he did that day and night. So, the standard by which we will be judged. Then there's a second thing, the Savior who will judge. Look again at verse 10. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of whom? Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. We must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of whom? Christ. In John chapter 5, verse 27, the Bible tells us that God has given the Son authority to execute judgment because he's the Son of Man. Jesus is the one who's going to judge us. The standard by which we're going to be judged, it's his word. That's why you and I need to know it. That's why we need to have a relationship with the Lord. Now, since Jesus is going to judge us, there are two things that we need to carefully consider. Number one, there's what I would call personal responsibility. You and I must learn to take responsibility for our choices in life. I hate to say it, but there are a lot of folks in our world today, they're not willing to take responsibility. 
They don't want to take responsibility. Listen, God is going to hold you personally responsible. He's not going to hold your brother, your sister, your husband, your wife. Now, they may influence you. They may impact you to some degree. But you are personally responsible for how you live in this life. There's not anybody putting a gun to your head and saying, this is what you're going to do. You have the responsibility. It's up to you. You can either receive the Lord, you can reject the Lord, you can forsake the Lord. It's on you. It's not on anybody else. It's up to you. You've got to take personal responsibility. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, that we are stewards. And that which is required of a steward is that a man be found faithful. That is, I've got to be faithful with regard to my time, my talents, my treasures. It's on me. Personal responsibility. We don't hear a lot about that anymore. But we are personally responsible. There's a second thing. Not only is there personal responsibility, listen to me very carefully, there is personal accountability. God is going to hold you accountable for how you live. It's on you. It's on me. What's he going to hold me accountable for? Well, first of all, God is going to hold me accountable for my words. Did you know that what I say is going to follow me to the judgment? Listen again to what James said in James chapter 2, verse 12. So speak ye as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Do you cuss? Do you take the name of the Lord in vain? Do you say things you should not say as a child of God, as somebody in this world? Let me tell you what, if you are using bad language, if you are using filthy communication, you, my friend, are in trouble with the Lord. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't want you to leave here and think, hey, it's okay. You are in trouble with the Lord. No ifs, no buts. No think-sos or maybe-sos. You, my friend, are in trouble. I want you to know that. You are in deep trouble. Number two, not just your words, but your deeds. Now, you may have some deep, dark, dirty secrets that nobody knows about. And you may, you may live in a denial mode. And you may go to your grave, deny Deny, deny, deny. Let me tell you what. One day God's going to unlock the door and he's going to drag every dirty secret you ever tucked away. He's going to bring it all out and parade it before you. You understand what I'm saying? You can lie. You can deny. You can cover up. You can do whatever you, you can try to conceal whatever you want to conceal. I promise you, you haven't fooled God one bit. Oh, you may think you have. You may have fooled us, but you haven't fooled the Lord. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. God knows what you're doing. God knows exactly what you're doing. The Bible says there are some men's sins that are evident going before to the judgment. And some men... Their sins follow afterward in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 24. All he's saying is there are some people, based on observation, we know what they're living like. 
We know what they're doing. We know what they're saying. But there are some people, we don't know what they're saying. We don't know what they're doing. We don't know it. But God knows it. So, what you do on this earth, it's going to follow you to the judgment. I wish that people would take this seriously. But you see, the fact of the matter is, I know there are some folks, they just don't take this stuff seriously. All of us want to be saved. The problem is, all of us don't want to do what we're supposed to do. I'm not trying to hurt you, I'm trying to help you. And all I'm trying to say is, look, we want to go to heaven. And the Bible is saying there is a judgment to come. God is going to hold you personally responsible. You are going to be accountable for the way you live here on planet Earth. Don't think that you won't. Now, what's the remedy for a life scarred and marred by sin? It's the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of his son Jesus cleanses us from all sin. I want to close by asking this question. Are you in Christ? If you're not in Christ Jesus, you need to obey the gospel today. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again and to see video archives, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.